Well, hallelujah. Wonderful to be a part of a church that cares so much about the lost and the Great Commission, isn't it? Praise God. Um, I do have something in my heart that I, I want to share with you. Uh, but before I do, don't forget that next week is the Starlight Glory program. Everybody will be meeting here at 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. It's important to remember that. All right. So let's, uh, let's just pray. And then my, I said in the first service, as I'll say again in this one, I just want to open up my heart and share something from my heart. I'm not going to preach per se. I just want to share with you something that's been happening to me. And I'm feeling like the Lord wants to do it with each one of us. Is that all right? So, Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who is here and inside every believer here. And we just ask you that you would cause that illumination of Christ, as is promised in John chapter 14, that you will disclose yourself to those who love you. So, Lord, we put our love upon you and ask for a love disclosure today of what you are really like in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, a few weeks ago, I was preparing to share at my Tuesday night mentoring group, and I was very excited to get into John 14 through 17, which is, in my opinion, the greatest spiritual discourse that there will ever be. And when I opened up my Bible and I started to pull together my notes in John chapter 14, I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me. And he said this, 13, 13. And so I knew what it meant. It meant go back a chapter and let's start there. And as I read through it, something was different this time when I read it. I've read John 13 many times. You've probably read John 13 many times. Maybe you've had something similar happen to you, which just recently happened to me. And as I read these words, there seemed to be a quality about them that was life-altering. I felt as if the Lord was grabbing a hold of the center of my heart and making a shift in my paradigm concerning Him, others, ministry, life itself. So I have a word in my heart today that I believe is first of all for me because I know my need more than I know anyone else's here. But also I believe that this applies to every father and mother and grandma and grandpa and child and sibling or uh, if you, you have friends or you're a manager or a leader or you feel like you know God has given to you a teaching position, maybe you're a student or an evangelist, a prophet, a missionary, whatever you find yourself in, I believe herein lies the heart of Christ and the heart of what Christianity actually is. I want to share with you today something that I don't believe is just good advice. I don't think that it's just a positive way to see things. I don't think that it's just a spiritual truth among many spiritual truths. I don't think that it's an optional approach. I believe this is who Jesus actually is. And not only is this who Jesus is, but this is what Jesus is looking for from us. So if you want to turn in your Bible to John chapter 13, we'll start right here. The Bible says, now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come and that he would depart out of the world to the Father, he loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. 
<laughs> During supper, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, he got up from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself and then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I do, you do not realize, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I I do not wash you. You have no part with me. Simon Peter said, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments back on. He reclined again at the table and he said to them, do you know what I've just done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right for so I am. If I then the Lord and the teacher washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. What a shocking scene. To let it unfold in front of your eyes could actually unfold your heart to a new vision of Christ. I feel like there's a portion in here that is the, the crux from which everything else kind of flows out. It's the highest point, and it is these words. It says, he loved them to the end. This whole picture is a love scenario. It's all his love being revealed, expressed, unveiled. The unveilings of the love of the bridegroom right here in the text. He says, it says he loved them to the end, and it can literally be translated, he loved them to the utmost. And you think, what does utmost mean? It is, it is the most extreme. Jesus loved them to the utmost extreme, to the most extreme, maxed out love he had for them. And then from this love, the scripture says he washed their feet, a, a signal act of condescension and humility in very fact, becoming a slave unto them. This shows us what love really looks like. Love manifests itself by choosing to serve. Jesus is revealing this truth to us, not just because he wants us to know this kind of truth, but because it is who he is. It's how he manifests his love nature. You know, he says there, in the text, he says, you don't realize what I'm doing, which shows me something about this action, which shows me something about this kind of love, which shows me something about this kind of humility. It's very difficult for man to understand and to realize. It's contrary to his very nature. As a matter of fact, John 
specifically starts with this. He knew who he was. He knew where he came from and he knew where he was going. He knew he came down from God and he was going back to God. I feel like John says this pointing out the reason why he is the one that should have been served, but yet he's the one who serves. I believe John points this out too, so that we realize that this isn't Jesus in a his humanity forgetting who he is for a minute and doing something out of character. This is Jesus being exactly who he is. As Robert Govett once wrote in his, his um, commentary, Charles Spurgeon said of Robert Govett's commentaries that one day they'll be worth their weight in gold. He said, Jesus doubly showed his humility both by what he put off and by what he put on. <laughs> this is the beauty of Christ. So I see three things here about this beautiful, beautiful manifestation, expression of Jesus' love. One, it's a sign of his character. <laughs> Two, it's a sign of his work. And three, it's a sign of his desire for us. The sign of his character. Jesus says, you call me teacher. Yes, I do know more than you, and I've come to teach you and tell you what you do not know and guide you in the way I am your teacher. Yes, you're right about that. And yes, I am your Lord. I deserve to be worshiped and honored. And because I am Lord and because I am teacher, I kneel down in front of you to wash your feet. Jesus is showing this. It's more than a training. It's a manifestation of his very heart to such an extreme that they'll never be able to forget this wild and extravagant act of Jesus Christ. Yes, I am your teacher, so watch what I do. I serve you. Yes, I am your Lord, but watch what I do. I serve you. Praise God. This moves my heart, makes me fall in love with such a character, such a, such a goodness, such a kindness. There is no greater love than this. We also see it's a sign of his work. Peter says, never, Lord, will you wash my feet? I understand that. You understand that? Never, Lord, you will wash my feet. And then Jesus says to him, if I don't, if I don't wash you, then, then you'll have no part with me. It's almost as if what Jesus is saying is this. Only I can get this dirt off you. Only I can clean you. And if you don't let me be this for you, the one who washes you and gets dirt off you, there's no way you'll be able to be with me. Jesus' heart love. He's washing them out of love. He's washing their feet out of love. And Peter's rejecting this manifestation of Christ's personal love. And Jesus says, oh, if you don't let me love you like this, you don't have a shot, Peter. Let me love you. Let me love you like this. It's not a need for a second justification. It's daily washings that we're seeing here. Anyone who's walked with God for any amount of time knows that it is absolutely impossible to continue on unless we let God be this for us the one who washes us and keeps us. Uh, D.A. Carson wrote, individuals who have been cleansed by Christ's atoning work will doubtless need to have subsequent sins washed away, but the fundamental cleaning can never be repeated. It's the same understanding that we see in John 13 of Jesus washing their feet from just being around in life, walking around in this world, as we see in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. This is Jesus who is here to keep you and to make sure that you make it. One of our Bible school teachers used to say to us all the time, he wants you to make it more than you want to make it. And he's done everything he can to make sure that you'll make it. And he'll come through and do everything through you and then reward you for all the stuff that he did through you. Praise God. So you see, 
Notice that Jesus washes them in the middle of communion with them. They're together. They're eating. And Jesus gets up from the table and he cleanses them in communion, which shows me something that my cleansing is connected to my communion with the Lord. As I commune with God, God cleans me. And as I, if I want to be clean, I commune with the Lord. It's right in here that we have the connection between these wonderfully needed things. I need to live clean before God. How? By living in communion, which reminds me also of 1 John that says, if you walk in the light as he is in the light, you have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all sin. Praise God. So we see this is his work. But also, the third thing is that this is his desire for us. He, he says here, as he, he washes their feet afterwards, he gets in, in his seat and he says to them, now what I did to you, do that to other people. It shows me a, a spiritual truth that I, I like to keep in front of my mind because to me it's the essence of ministry. In order for me to be able to do anything, it must first have had to have been done to me by Christ. I can only do for others what Christ has first done for me. I, I can't express an, an aspect of Christ that he hasn't shown me of himself. I can only reveal Christ to the degree I've seen Christ. And Jesus is saying, I did this to you now. You're free and enabled and empowered to be able to do this to other people. Praise God. So that's the essence of, of, of ministry, I believe. You know, the, the wonderful thing that strikes me also about this is that he does this on his last night with them, guys. The last time he's going to sit with them. You know, I often sit at my own dinner table with my precious wife and my two lovely daughters, overwhelmed by affection for them. Often I will just blurt out loud, I love you guys so much, and you're my favorite people on the planet. I'm, I'm pretty notorious for this at, at my house, and they just kind of laugh because it's, I just kind of get overwhelmed looking at these loved ones, my precious family. And, and I can't help but think that this is probably the closest thing I have to the emotions running through Jesus' heart and teary eyes that night as he sat at the table with his disciples, looking at them, loving them. See, if it was my last dinner with my family, if it was the last time I was going to sit with them, I would probably want to give each one of them a specific love, encouraging word, maybe present to them some memorable gift or, or do something extravagant, like stand up on the table and say one last time, remember me, I've loved you, I've loved you, I've loved you. It's just to express some extravagant thing that they'll never be able to forget. The last time I ate with my dad, he jumped on the table so that I would always remember how much he loves me. You know, this is what I would want to do, something like this. And this is what Jesus is thinking, I'm sure, in his last moments. This is the last time I'm going to be with them, the last time I'm going to eat with them, the last time we're going to sit face to face together. I want to do something that's going to shock them and rock them. So he's like, what shall I do? What shall I do? What, what can I do that will shake them to their bones to reveal to them how much I love them and what I'm like? Maybe his mind went back to chapter 12 when this woman comes in and washes his feet and they are embarrassed by how she is washing his feet and he's worthy of it. And they're embarrassed that his feet are being washed in front of them. And yet he says, if they were shocked by her doing that to me, who's worthy, I'm going to shock them by doing what they are not worthy of to them as the one who's worthy of it. Praise God. Praise God. 
So Jesus, he waits to do this extravagant act until the last night. See, they've been with him three years. They've seen the glory of God. They recognize that he's from above. They, they, they're respecting their honor of him as at its highest point. Now, he says, is the perfect time to reveal my, my clearest and most piercing lesson of all. And it is this. I will wash their feet. You know, when I was meditating on this and I had that experience that shook me, I was there just meditating and, and worshiping the Lord, and all of a sudden my mind became aware of something. I saw a mental image. How many of you have had something like this before, where the Lord takes you into something and you see it? I was there, and what happened to me was I saw all of a sudden a small room where there was a small table, a round table, and Jesus and his disciples were leaning on their left arms, and their feet were going out from the table, and they were all there talking and eating, and I looked around the table in the vision to find which one was Jesus, and when I located him, my eyes began to just drink in the sight of this, of this God-man, savoring each detail of God, and in a, in a moment as I'm looking at him, and he's staring at his disciples with smiling eyes eyes and a, a heart that seemed to be submerged with final affections, he gets up from the table and he walks away and he takes off his garment and he puts a, a, a towel around his waist and all of them, I can see them in the vision, they're frozen, not knowing what in the world he is doing. And even when he starts walking towards them in the vision, he, he, they are so shocked at him wearing what he's wearing, they can't even, it's hard for them to look at him. Because he had humbled himself to wear the garb of a slave. Their Messiah, their God, there he is, wearing the garments of a slave. In my heart, I was so overwhelmed by watching what he was about to do to the disciples. And in the vision, he broke the fourth wall of the vision, and he came to me. And he, he knelt down before me. And there I was. And I could see the face of God looking at me. The eyes of God staring at me, and he says a question. He says, Eric, will you let me wash you? Oh, it broke my heart. It literally snapped me. I, I felt something was fractured on the inside of me. I felt there was a level of pride and arrogance and, and entitlement inside of my being that was fractured that day by the sight of this God-man who would go so low as to become someone who resembles a slave in order to wash me and get the grunge off me. Praise God. It moved my heart. What incredible goodness. What great love. See, his final example to them is to not think of themselves or their position too good or too great for the exercise of genuine service and love. You see, they've been with Jesus now for a while. They've operated in power, and soon they'll be the only people on the planet that actually walk by his side. And Jesus knew how they are and how we are, how humanity is, and how our hearts are prone to swell with a high opinion of ourselves. And so Jesus gives them this lesson. If God is not too important to serve them, then they are not too important to serve one another. Praise God. And if we think of ourselves, if we, if we think of ourselves or our position as too high to condescend to others, is it, this is to assume a rank higher than God. Because God himself, Jesus, 
who is very God of very God, he got up from the meal just like he got up from his throne. He took off his robe just like he laid aside his glory. He wrapped himself in a towel just like he wrapped himself in flesh. He washed their feet in service as he washed the world with his blood. He put on his clothes and returned to his seat just as he will return to glory and sit with his father. Praise God. There's a remarkable statement by the great commentator Godet. He says this, Jesus feared nothing for his church so much as hierarchical pretensions. You say, Eric, I, I, it sounds cool, but what does it mean? Well, hierarchical means rank, level, and class. And pretensions is, is a claim or a asserting or confident, forceful act to be something. So what he's saying is this, Jesus feared nothing for his church more than the confident, forceful claim to have a higher rank and class and level than the others. Are you seeing this? Gaudet is saying that what Jesus is doing by washing the disciples' feet is taking the legs off the table and making everything fall to the ground and say, no, 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 I'm the only one who's worthy. Praise God. See, Jesus, he knew, he knew that it is far easier for us to approve humility and to admire humility than to practice it. He knew this. And, and you know, many people, they, they, they look at life as like a swing set. In other words, they'll go down low if one day they'll be able to go high. You know, and then they're like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go low for a little bit so that I can go high. In other words, uh, like <clears throat> Matthew Henry once wrote, people like to climb by cringing. In other words, they'll do cringing things in order to be able to climb a little bit. Or, or, you know, many people will do stooping things in order that one day they may rise. It's like washing somebody's feet now so that one day will come and you won't have to do that no more. Are you following what I'm saying? <laughs> Jesus is, is trying to show us something. This isn't the kind of love that humbles itself in order to curry favor with their superior. This is a love that, that manifests itself willingly to serve other people. And that's the goal. It isn't to get. It just is the way. I remember Bob Gladstone said to me one time, he said, Jesus is not a king that just serves. He serves because he's the king. Praise God. Let that one sink into your, to your gut for a little bit. Some Baptist uh, organizations, they do this thing called the Ordinance of Humility, where there's a, wa a foot washing once a year. But John Calvin writes something specific about this. He says, Christ does not here in this story prescribe an annual ceremony. Rather, he tells us to be ready, to be ready all throughout our life to wash the feet of our brothers, not literally, but to live a life of love and humble and sacral, sacrificial service unto them. Praise God. John Gill says something similar. He says, our Lord's meaning here in this story is as he has given them an example of humility and condescension and love, so they should exercise these graces and perform such kind offices one to another. You know, there's, there's a story, you know, you might not know this name, but if you do, it's R.C. Chapman. I read his biography recently. Charles Spurgeon said he was the saintliest man he ever knew. You know, when Chapman and two of his friends, Newton and Darby, started having difficulties and they split up, there was a time when Chapman said, brothers, let's just all get together and get on our faces before God for unity's sake. Let's get on our faces before God. Chapman was such a, such a kind of a man that when Newton and, and uh, Darby were writing on the heavenlies, as a matter of fact, Darby was very uh, famous for writing on the heavenlies. Somebody said, does Chapman understand these things that you, that you talk about the heavenlies? 
And he says to him, Chapman, he says, I teach on the heavenlies, but Chapman lives in the heavenlies. So Chapman was a very special man, and he had this retreat center kind of thing where people would come and stay in rooms and get refreshed and pray and and enjoy the Lord. And he would say to the people before they'd go to their room, hey, leave your shoes outside of the door at night. And then early in the morning, he would come to each door, and he would grab the shoes of each guest, and he would take them into his workshop, and he would fix them, and he would clean them. He'd wash them and then return them before they would wake up in the morning, all perfect and brand new and shiny. And somebody said to him one day, they said, man, you're one of the holiest men I've ever met. You're, you're an incredible pastor, outstanding teacher, one of the most spiritually respected men in the city. Why do you do that? And then he, his response to them is, he goes, this is my modern day foot washing to serve those that come to me. You know, to me, I find that this to be something that's very special and very important. But here's the remarkable statement that Jesus says towards the end. After he's done this extravagant act of love and, and wild humble act of washing their feet. He says this to them. He says, if you know these things, blessed, happy, blessed are you if you do them. Blessed are you if you do them. He doesn't say blessed are those who understand humility. Blessed are those who really can teach service. No, blessed and happy are those guys who really understand what it is to to get in the mix. No, no, no. Blessed are those who actually do it, he says. So it shows us that theory and knowledge is not sufficient to bring about this supernatural joyful blessing that Jesus is trying to communicate to us about his own life. You know, it's like to to lay yourself aside for others. It, It is to bring yourself into the highest experience of the greatest kind of existence that there is, Christ likeness. You know, misery follows those people who do not do the things they know they should. You know, pharisaical Christianity thinks that if I preach these things and I teach these things, it's pretty much actually the same thing as me doing them. But this is not true. See, he who knows and doesn't do it brings depression on himself because he's weighed down by his disobedience. But blessed is the one, not just who knows these things, but actually does them. But I feel like what happens a lot of times is we ignore the fact that we're actually not doing it. And sometimes we, what we'll do is we'll treat it kind of like it's, it's an option. It's one of those things that's kind of like in Christianity that you can option, option in for and option out, you know, instead of recognizing it's the very heart and spirit of the whole thing that we're a part of. And that's what Jesus is trying to do, is reveal, reveal to us what this is. And this is, just, this is serving one another, let alone not having things right with your brother. I read yesterday from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He said, you simply cannot be right with God until you set yourself right with men. And he said, better to keep God waiting than a relationship out of harmony. He's commenting on Matthew 5, 24. He says, to profess great love for Jesus and to ignore that you have hurt other people is to kiss Christ in betrayal. What he's trying to say is that, yeah, we should protect our relationships, but more than just protect them and more than just keep them, let's you bring them into the place of serving one another where they're edified and strengthened and built upon and not just trying to protect them from not breaking down. Let's build them upon each other. Praise God. And so I see these things and and it reminds me even like when, when you see somebody speaking evil of you, you know, I remember Charles Spurgeon said, if you ever hear somebody speak ill of you, don't be mad at them. 
for you are far worse than they think you are. <laughs> so this is how important fellowship with God is. This is how important fellowship with his sufferings is. Fellowship with his services. Fellowship in love is. It's so important to him. I'm asking that God would give to me today and to all of us a mind to prefer one another above ourselves. That God would do something in us, actually to put a heart of patience and kindness and forgiveness in, in ourselves. That God would put inside of us a disposition for compassion. That God would put in us a desire for humility and an esteem for the place of supporting other people. That God would put in us a grace for this kind of harmony and a hatred for everything that is contrary because anything else other than this is not the wisdom of God and it builds something that God simply will never be able to call a home. If we are not going to live this way, if we're not going to minister this way, if we're not going to build church this way, if we're not going to keep our relationships this way, according to this Jesus, then we don't have any right to call it Christian. You say, Eric, what are you trying to say? I, I just, I want to look at this man, Christ Jesus, and what he's like. And I want to swallow that in. I want to take it into my eyes and take it into my heart. And I want to receive the fullness of what this man actually is like, this God man actually is like, so that he might be able to make his way out of me. Even as you eat food and then you live by the energy of that food. I want to eat this Christ, eat this vision of him, eat this side of his love, eat this side of his humility, and then let that begin to just automatically begin to come out of my life. That's what I want because there's coming a day when I'm going to stand before God. You're going to stand before God. No one's going to stand with you. And what he's going to be looking at through and through is not how much do you know, how much did you say, how many things did you do. He's going to look at you and he's going to say, come here a little closer. I want to see how much of my son I can see inside of you. And this is what matters. So I love you guys. I've been praying for Nations Church. And above all things, I believe that God means to make us a humble people, a serving people, a washing the grunge off each other's feet, people. So what do you say we make a decision even today to say this is going to be our way? This is going to be what separates us from the modern-day systems of the world, those who wash each other's feet, because we've seen Jesus do it to us. Praise God. Bless you guys.